The following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel. Every worldly attachment must be confronted. We live in a day of great deception. There are many different gospels being proclaimed. I come 
teaching one gospel. It is the gospel about Jesus, who is the Christ. Jesus means to save, to deliver, to rescue. Christ means, from Christos, means Messiah, the Anointed One. Jesus Christ is the Anointed One of God. You cannot separate Jesus and Christ. I listened to a Franciscan as he lectured this morning on Jesus, the historical Jesus, versus the cosmic Christ. It was an utterly deceptive and appealing to the flesh position that he took. He said, we have concentrated too much on the historical Jesus. We need to put him in the second place because first placed is the cosmic Christ who has existed from eternity and is one with the Father. Well, that sounds like some kind of wisdom, doesn't it? It is utterly false. It is akin to what in ancient times was called mysticism. It's not the truth. Gnosticism is a part of this picture. This man, and then I listened to a Catholic layperson as they also lectured on the mystery of the Eucharist and how we have to enter into the mystery of the Eucharist. And to do that, we must meditate, we must contemplate, and we must be brought in by some secret knowledge that is revealed to us. It's, it's not a doctrine as much as it is a way of thinking. It is imparted to us as we wait. Madame Guan, she was at total odds with the, or I should say John Wesley was at total odds with Madame Guyon. He preached against the quietism of the Quakers. Why? Because the Quakers would wait until they were moved by the Spirit, and then that was supposed to be the truth. Well, the truth is not found in my waiting in quietness before God. The truth is found in the person of Jesus Christ. Not the historical Jesus. There is no such person in the scriptures called the historical Jesus. 
and there is no such person in the scriptures called the cosmic Christ. These are divisions of our Lord and Savior that are false. We need to understand Jesus lived in time and space and history. Christ lived in time and space and history. Jesus was born in Bethlehem, and he was the Messiah. He was and is the Son of God. He didn't become the Messiah. He was the Messiah. He was, a, he was the Messiah from the eternal ages before the creation of the earth. This person of the Godhead came and dwelled among us, and we saw his glory. You cannot divide Jesus. When you try to divide Jesus, what you are literally doing is creating room for the devil. <coughs> Pardon me. You're creating room for Satan to come in and confuse your thinking. I'm not willing to do that. So, I'd like to take some time, and please stay with me. I want to read for you a portion of Scripture, a rather lengthy portion of Scripture. And I want you to, to see the wonder that I see as given to us in the Scriptures. It's not some secret knowledge. It's not hidden knowledge. It's right here. It's, it's open for any human being to read and understand. And it's the truth. It's about Jesus. I want you to understand it. Because if we'll understand this, we can go the next step which is to make sure that every worldly attachment to our heart is confronted, that we are crucified with Christ, and we are raised to newness of life, and we walk in the glory of our Lord Jesus. I will never agree with any man who says that we have paid too much attention to some historical Jesus. Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. He is the eternal God of heaven. So don't play games with me. Don't confuse the issues with some secret Gnostic understanding of mysticism. Give me a break. Jesus is concrete. He is real. 
He is the revealed, beautiful Son of the living God. Let's not make mistakes about this. So let me read this for you. And obviously, as I read this, you're going to see it's not giving me hidden knowledge. It's saying what is real in time and space and history. Just as your crucifixion must be real in time and space and history. And then your resurrection is going to be real in time and space and history to be brought into the fullness of the gospel of the kingdom of God. Let me read. I'll begin in John, the 19th chapter, verse 38. Being a disciple of Jesus... But having been in secret because of fear of the Jews, Joseph of Arimathea asked Pilate that he may take away the body of Jesus. And Pilate gave permission. So he came and took away the body of Jesus. Now, I want to point out, the body of Jesus was real. It had weight. It had substance. It wasn't a spirit of illusion or trickery. Now Nicodemus also came, the one having come to Jesus at first by night, bringing a mixture of myrrh and alloy, about a hundred pounds. And they took the body of Jesus and they wrapped it in linen strips with spices as was the custom of the Jews, to prepare for burial. Now there was a garden in the place where he was crucified, and in the garden a new tomb in which no one was ever laid. So they laid Jesus there, since the tomb was nearby because of the preparation day of the Jews. Chapter 20, verse 1. Now on the first day from the Sabbath... Mary Magdalene comes to the tomb early in the morning while still being dark and sees the stone having been taken away from the tomb. She runs and comes to Simon Peter and to the other disciple whom Jesus loved and said to them, They took away the Lord out of the tomb, and we know not where they've laid him. So Peter went out and the other disciple. And they were coming to the tomb, and the two were running together, but the other disciple ran ahead faster than Peter and came to the tomb first. And having stooped down, he sees the linen cloths lying there, yet he entered not in. Then Simon Peter comes following him. He entered into the tomb and sees the linen cloths lying there and the face cloth that was upon his head not lying with the linen clothes, but having been folded up in one place by itself. 
you may not understand the significance of what I just read. When I go to have dinner at my wonderful friend's restaurant, the Bistro Le Hermitage, if you get up and leave the table to go to the bathroom, when you return to your table, you find your linen napkin carefully folded up and back in place. Now, what does that mean? That's a signal to the wait staff that no one should remove this meal from the table that has not yet been finished. It says, this client or this customer is returning. Leave it alone. The same was in that day. When the face garment was folded up in one place, it was saying, Jesus was going to be seen again. This is not over. The disciples knew that if they had thought about it. But they were overcome with their emotions. They were overcome with sorrow. All they saw was that the body of Jesus had been removed. And they were deeply troubled. Verse 8, Then at that time, The other disciple also entered, the one having gone into the tomb first. And he saw and believed. What did he see and what did he believe? He saw that Jesus' body had been removed and he believed that it had been taken. For they had not yet understood the scripture that it is necessary for him to rise from among the dead. So the disciples went again to themselves. In other words, they withdrew to the upper room, frightened, terrified. What has happened to the body of Jesus? They've taken it. Are they going to come and take us too? I want you to see there's nothing mystical about this. There's nothing secret about this. They actually are experiencing the reality in time and space and history that Jesus was crucified that he was placed in the tomb. And now he's gone. Verse 11. But Mary had stood outside near the tomb weeping. Then as she was weeping, she stooped down toward the tomb. And she sees two angels in white sitting one at the head and one at the feet where the body of Jesus used to be laid. And they say to her, Woman, why are you weeping? And she said to them, They took away my Lord. I know not where they laid him. And after having said these things, she turned to the back and saw Jesus having stood there. But she didn't know it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, Why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Thinking that he is the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you carried him away, you must tell me where you laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary, having turned, she said to him, 
Rabbani, which is to say teacher. Jesus says to her, you must stop holding me. She just fell at his feet and and grasped his feet. You must stop holding me, for I have not yet ascended to my father. But you must go to my brethren and say to them, I am ascending to my father and your father, to my God and to your God. I want you to notice she is holding on to a real person. Yes, it is his new body that we will all receive, but it's a real body. It's not illusionary. It's not ghostly. It's solid. It's real. It's not make-believe. He's not a hologram. He can be touched. And he loves this precious woman, Mary of Magdala, who has followed him so faithfully. Mary Magdalene comes announcing to the disciples that she has seen the Lord. And he said these things to her. Then it being evening on that day, the first day from the Sabbath, the doors having been locked where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews, Jesus came. And he stood in the midst, and he said to them, Peace to you. And having said this, he showed his hands and his side to them. And the disciples were rejoicing, having seen the Lord. So Jesus said to them again, Peace to you. That is, shalom to you, all Love and provision and grace, everything you need is given to you. I give it to you. Just as the Father has sent me, I'm also sending you. And after having said this, he breathed on them and says to them, You must receive the Holy Spirit. If you may forgive the sins of anyone, they are forgiven. They are forgiven for them. If we may hold back forgiveness of anyone, they stand held back. I don't know how to even talk about that. Such a, a glorious, a glorious gift. where we have authority to forgive sins. Where we have authority to say, you are an adulterer. You have not left your sins. You have not confessed your sins. Therefore, your sins are not forgiven. And you cannot be a part of this church it's that kind of authority that we need to exercise in the church today and stop being the feel-good, feel-good, mushy, gushy, marshmallow church with no backbone, cotton candy Jesus. It's evil. 
Verse 24. Now Thomas, one of the twelve, being called Dynamis, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples were saying to him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, If I may not see the mark of the nails in his hands, and put my finger in the mark of the nails, and may put my hand in his side, I absolutely will not believe. So after eight days, Jesus doesn't show up for a week. Where is he? He's probably ascended to the Father to find out if his sacrifice was accepted. They have eight days to think about and to pray about what they have seen and what they have heard. And Thomas, dear, precious, doubting Thomas, says, I'm not going to believe if I don't see him. So for eight days, he's in his stubborn unbelief. So after eight days, his disciples were again inside. Thomas was with them. Jesus comes the doors having been locked. He stood in the midst and he said, Peace to you. Then he says to Thomas, You must reach your finger here and you must see my hands. Reach out your hand. Put it into my side. Stop being in unbelief. But believe. And Thomas answered and he said, he said to him, my Lord, my God. Jesus said to him, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are the ones not having seen and yet having believed. Now Jesus also did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which have not been written in this book. But these things have been written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. Did you catch that? These things have been written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. You cannot be saved through the name of Christ. The scriptures are clear. There is only one name by which we can be saved, and that is the name of Jesus. Jesus is the Messiah. The Messiah is a descriptor of the role Jesus played and what he did as he sacrificed himself for us.
Now, he's referred to in the scriptures at times as Christ. He's referred to at times as Lord Jesus Christ. He is also referred to as Jesus Christ. But you cannot separate Jesus and Christ. They are inseparably linked. They are one. Now, I want you to also look with me over here at Romans. Romans, the 10th chapter. We refer to this as the Romans road sometimes. I want to read it for you. Do you understand why I'm reading this to you? It's not enough for a man to talk about the scriptures. We must hear the scriptures. And you must know whether I am adhering faithfully to the history of time and space as I talk about Jesus, the Messiah. I cannot go off in some fantasy world about the cosmic Christ. This, this Franciscan priest that I listened to this morning, he said, we must understand that Christ is in everything. He's in the trees, he's in the water. He is in everything. No, he is not in everything. He is the creator of everything. We are not, as Christians, pantheists. We don't believe that Jesus is in everything. The only ones that Jesus, the Christ, dwells in are those who have crucified the flesh and been resurrected in a new birth and made children of God, then Jesus dwells in us. He doesn't dwell in this desk. He doesn't dwell in this mic. He doesn't dwell in the trees or the birds or the flowers outside. Does he give life to them? Yes, but he's not in them. See how easy it is to be deceived. This man was so bold as to say, either Christ is in everything or he is in nothing. Heresy. Lie. It denigrates the work of Jesus Christ. That gives me heartburn. That's speaking against my Lord and my Savior. It's speaking against my Jesus. I will not tolerate that. Let me read this. I'll begin in verse 4. 
This is Romans 10, verse 4. For Christ is an end of the law for righteousness to everyone believing. How can Christ, by himself, be the end of the law for righteousness to everyone believing? If you divide them, did Christ die for you? No. Jesus died for me. Jesus is the Christ. Listen. Verse 8. It says what? What's the scripture say? That word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. This is the word of faith which we preach. That if you may confess Jesus, Lord Jesus, with your mouth, and may believe with your heart that God raised him out from among the dead ones, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confesses unto salvation. For the scripture says, everyone believing on him will not be put to shame. For there is no difference between Jew and Gentile, for the same Lord is Lord of all, being rich unto all the ones calling upon him. Indeed, everyone, whosoever that may call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Now, that's all the way over in the 10th chapter of the book of Romans. But to understand what he's really talking about, you've got to come back and read what he actually wrote about this issue. And you find that in Romans, the 6th chapter. I keep returning to this because the Holy Spirit said to me, Preach this. Preach this to my people, to my church. He didn't say preach to my church that Jesus is historical Jesus and Christ is the cosmic Christ and they are two separate beings and we should not pay such attention to Jesus and, and not attention primarily on, on the cosmic Christ. That's not what the scriptures say. What shall we say then? Continue in sin so that grace may become more and more? Certainly not. We who died to sin, how shall we live in it any longer? Now I want you to see the issue. The issue is not about a a cosmic Christ versus a historical Christ. There is one, a historical Jesus. There is one person, the Lord Jesus Christ from eternity. Every name that we have for our Lord, every name we have for God in all of the Scripture is a name that is given to us to include 
the salvation process. None of them are his actual name. Remember, he said to Jacob after fighting all night, Jacob asked, what is your name? He said, why are you asking me that? (laughs) Jacob couldn't understand his real name. It's divine. Now, let me just interject something that I've said before, but I need to say it again. The first place heresy has always arrived in the Christian church is about this issue of the divinity of Jesus Christ. If you're not straight on who Jesus is, that he is Lord Jesus Christ, one person, if you try to separate this out, you will go into a heresy and you will deny the saving power of Jesus Christ. And you will fantasize about some wonderful experience that you can have with some absolute being called God or called Jesus, but you will not focus on what the real issue is. Now, I have a warning for you. I hope there are some pastors listening today. I have a warning for Bible teachers, for ministers, for pastors, a serious warning. And that warning is, do not go beyond what the scriptures say. Don't go to some book outside of scripture that you believe is inspired because we accept the inspired word of God as we have it in the scripture, in the Bible. Don't go beyond what Scripture says. Don't begin to say about Moses things that the Bible doesn't say about Moses. Don't begin to say things about Abraham that the Bible does not say about Abraham. Don't say things about the Apostle Paul that are not in the Scriptures. Don't go beyond the Scriptures. Now, there are some extra-biblical sources that tell us that Paul was beheaded for the gospel and that Peter was hung on a cross and his wife was hung on a cross. But I don't preach that as gospel. It's extra-biblical. I go by what the scriptures actually say and I will not go beyond that. Now, we who died to sin, how shall we still live in it? The primary point is not to divide Jesus into the historical Jesus versus some mystical being. You're off track. You don't understand the gospel of Jesus. You may understand a gospel of the Christ, the cosmic Christ. That gospel will not save you. If you divide them, the cosmic Christ did not die for you. The 
the Jesus who walked the streets of Jerusalem and the dusty roads of Palestine. That Jesus died for me. He was real. He was not imaginary. He was not mystical. Some Gnostic did not come to me with secret knowledge. The issue is we who died to sin, how can we go on living in it? That's the issue. Paul presents it, chapter 6, right in the heart of his, of his message about the gospel. Or are you uneducated? Are you ignorant, Paul says, that as many as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Really, we were buried together with him by means of the baptism into the death that just as Christ was raised out from among dead men by the glory of the Father. Oh, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. We were buried together with him by means of the baptism into the death. That just as Messiah was raised out from among the dead men by the glory of the Father, so also we may walk around in newness of life. Who was resurrected? Jesus. Jesus was resurrected. For we have become united in the similarity of his death, then we shall also be united in the similarity of his resurrection. He's saying, look, get on the real issue. And the real issue is that in time and space and history and the present, I must be crucified and die to my sin. And this is a work that Jesus does in me. The scripture says that he circumcises my heart. I must understand that if I am not crucified with Christ, I cannot be raised from the dead, and I have no participation in his resurrection glory. Now, these attachments, a man's, a woman's heart, always goes after the love of their heart. Tell me what it is that you love, and I'll tell you who your Jesus is. But every Jesus cannot save you. Some are false. If you love your lust, your pornography, if you love your television. And I have to tell you one dear brother, Stephen, he sent me a letter and in the letter was $300. 
I was very curious. I knew he didn't have that kind of money. He told me his family had finally agreed with him, and they sold their big screen television for $300, and he was sending it for the work of the gospel. I just shouted with joy. Thank you, Jesus. They confronted their worldly attachment. And they said, we've had enough of it. Have you dealt with your worldly attachments yet? Yesterday, I showed you in the story of Arnold Blessed that the cross shaped his body. Your mind and your body are shaped by what you love. What is it that you love? Tell me the truth. Is it Jesus that you love? Or is it worldly entertainment? Is it lust? When I was a child in my home, My father wanted to teach me to read the scriptures. But my mother wanted to take me to the library and check out novels. Well, my heart as a child wanted the scriptures, but I found them much too hard to understand and read, and I found the novels very easy, the Hardy Boys. lies. So my mother trained me in the reading of novels, and so as an adult, I was caught in science fiction. I was caught in historical novels. They're supposed to be clean. They're lies. I was caught in all kinds of novels. And finally, the Lord very kindly said to me, Ray, put them down. They're lies. That was a real battle for me. Because after the pains of pastoral work, being rejected, being criticized, being treated poorly, I could come home and I could sit in my chair and I could read my novel and escape and live in a different world for a while. Jesus did not want me to escape. He wanted me to be shaped by the cross I was to carry. He wanted me to sit in my chair and read the word. He wanted me to sit in my chair and cry out to him in prayer. One dear sister, after our last prayer meeting, called and left a message for me. She said, Pastor, there's something missing from your prayer time. I was curious to know what she thought was missing. She said to me, you have authority in Jesus Christ over the demonic spirits, and you must rise up and bind them in the name of Jesus and not allow them to rule over this nation. He has given you authority. 
Well, you know what I immediately thought in my mind. I thought, wow, I think she's right. And I didn't do that, and I'm going to change that. Next time we hold a prayer service, I'm going to take authority over those spirits of darkness. I've been doing that in my personal prayer life. I did that this morning over this broadcast. But then I wanted to say one more thing to her, and I'll say it to her in person. Why didn't you call and pray and bind the spirits? You have authority too. I just want to suggest to those of you who listen to this broadcast and you listen to the prayers but you don't call in, you're missing the blessing of God and you're not taking up your sword and your shield and fighting for the gospel of Jesus. So why don't you make a change like I'm making and pick up your sword and your shield and bind the powers of darkness that would come against the work of the gospel, against the presidency of the United States, against the freedom of this nation. Now they want to take away Christmas. They want to take away Thanksgiving. I'm not going to let them. No. Thanksgiving is my favorite holiday of the year. It's not commercialized. It's a day of grateful thanks to Jesus for all that he's done in salvation for my soul. You think I'm not going to gather together with like-minded people and shout the praises of Jesus? Now, we must die. If we die, we can participate with Jesus in the resurrection. He says, Really? Look, this is true. Verse 4. Romans 6, verse 4. Really, we were buried together with him by means of the baptism into the death, that just as Christ was raised out from among the dead men by the glory of the Father, so also we may walk around in newness of life. Now, it does not say water baptism. Now, it may mean in part, water baptism, and I'm sure it does. But it's more than that. It's that wonderful work of John 3, where Jesus spoke to Nicodemus and said, you must be born from above. But again, that's not a mystical work. He changes us. He transforms us. He takes the love he takes the love of darkness from our hearts. He took the love of novels from my heart. I don't feast on lies anymore. I've known people who were totally enamored by historical novels or by romance novels, and they did not grow spiritually like they could have because they were feasting on things of darkness, not on the truth. You see, everything that is not true in Jesus is false. I'm not willing to feast on that which is a lie. 
I'm not willing to sit down and feast on a television show that is a a sitcom written by a wicked man or woman to express some wicked concept and try to suck me into that. I'm not willing to go there. Recently, I've not even been listening to the news. Why? Some people are talking, they're lying. I don't want to hear the lies. I want to hear the truth. We were buried together with him by the means of baptism into the death. That just as Christ was raised out from among the dead men by the glory of the Father, we also may walk around in newness of life. Was the resurrection of Jesus some mystical experience? No! It was a real resurrection. In time and space and history, Jesus was brought back to life. He was raised from the dead. I'll never forget standing in the tomb of Jesus in Jerusalem. I was able to walk into that tomb by myself. And wow! His body was not there and his bones were not there. Well, my friend, we're out of time for today. Will you share with me in the burden of this broadcast? You can write to me, nationalprayerchapel.com. I'm sorry, nationalprayerchapel.com. Go to the upper right-hand corner, and you can give, or you can write to me at the National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346. Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195. I hope this has been helpful to you today. Would you subscribe to our channel? God bless you, my brother, my sister. I love you.